Well, good morning. I am Sean. <laughs> I, I, just for clarification, clarification, I do spell my name the right way. I said, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Pastor Sean. But I do want to just give a compliment to our elder board. They, they put in a lot of work, and I've, I've just been blessed to see them kind of work through this process and lean on God for direction, lean on God for leadership. They didn't jump to like a hasty uh, decision or anything like that when everything went down. So I just appreciate their leadership through what has been kind of a difficult process. So thank you, Carl, Mark, Sean, Alan, the whole, whole elder board. Thank you so much. But um, So this morning, we are continuing on with our, our awesome series, right? We've been talking about the fact that we have this desire for awesome relationships, and that God, something we don't think about very often, is that God has that exact same desire for us. He wants us to have awesome relationship too. And this desire is instilled in us based on the command that Jesus gave when he was asked the question of what is the greatest commandment. And his answer is our series verse. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments, and that's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Again, that is our series verse uh, for this whole series, and we've been using it to see how we can infuse love into our most important relationships. And last week, Pastor Sean, he walked us through this awesome mate conversation, right? And the, this morning, we're going to kind of piggyback off of that and talk about what it looks like to have an awesome marriage. And I do want to acknowledge before we kind of dig in too far is that I know that there are people in here that aren't married, Right? But there are things in this message that you can take out of it for, for other relationships that you might have. But also, some of this stuff, you know, I'd encourage you just to pull out your outline, fill in the blanks, jot it down, because it might be useful to you down the, down the road if God does put somebody in your life that you want to have engage in, 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 a, in a marriage relationship with. So I'd encourage you, don't, don't fall asleep on me, okay? Because <laughs> this is for you too. So let's, let's go ahead and dig in. Um, I think it goes without saying that we all want to have an awesome marriage, Right? We want to have an awesome marriage. Nobody goes in, steps up to the altar and said, man, I hope this is mediocre. Right? Nobody, nobody lands there. We want an awesome marriage. And according to God, God says that marriage is a covenant and not a contract. An awesome marriage is a covenant and not a contract. So we dig in. We have this because this is going to be the premise of our talk this morning. So I think it's important that we understand the difference between the two. What's the difference between a covenant and a contract? And why in the world does God want us to have this covenant relationship with our spouse. So we're going to dig into the definition of each. We'll start with contract. Right? A contract is an agreement between two or more parties, especially one that is written and enforceable by law. Now, how many heard me just recite the wedding vows? Right? <laughs> no, of course not. That's not, what a, that's not what we said. This isn't God's design, this contract. When I think of the word contract, the first thing that pops into my mind is like the NFL and their labor negotiations and their contracts with the, the their players are always disputing because they're not making enough money. I know we have some Steelers fans in here, right? Thanks, Susie. <laughs> we have some Steelers, uh, Steelers fans in here. Le'Veon Bell, right? He actually missed a couple of games last year because of a contract dispute, and I, I still don't think it's 100% resolved at this point because, you know, it's, it's very rare when you're having these, when they're having these conversations that there's actually a, a happy ending to one of those contracts, contract disputes. And the reason is because contracts are based on protection and mistrust, right? They're signing that contract because they don't trust you to do what you said, do what they say. Le'Veon Bell is looking out for his financial, uh, financial um, protection 
And the Steelers, are, they're looking out for themselves to make sure, like, going forward, we're going to have enough money to pay everybody else. So the, the, there's a, the, the contracts are designed to allow parties involved to look for things like loopholes, to look for things like exit clauses, and they're centered on rights and protection. Again, that doesn't sound like the marriage that we signed up for, right, when we entered into that relationship. And as an interesting side note, the Bible doesn't really say anything about contracts, right? It's not in there. It's a man-made agreement. Conversely, the term covenant, the definition is it's a coming together. In the Bible, this word covenant is translated in Hebrew in the Old Testament over 300 times. 300 times. So there's some weight to this word covenant. And what it means, it's a bond, right? It's two or more parties bound together. Another way to think about it comes from the New Testament. And that means to establish a bond between two parties that carries with the concept of cleaving together or sticking together like superglue. Now, when I was a little kid, I, I, one time I superglued my pointer finger and my thumb together and couldn't get it apart. My pointer finger established a bond with my thumb that I could not break, right? That's kind of the idea. You get stuck together so intensely that it's hard to break apart. And we're going to dig into this difference between a contractual and a covenant marriage. And if you fix your eyes on the screen, we kind of did a breakdown on the left side. Your, your, your left side, yes. Your left side is contract and your right side is, is covenant. That's hard to do. Wow. So a contract, I kind of look at it and there's, the, if you look at it, the base word could be selfishness, right? With a, a covenant, the base word could be selflessness. So if you look at it, a contract, I take you from me selfishly. A covenant, I selflessly, I give me to you. A contract, selfishly, you better do it. Covenant, selflessly, how may I serve you? Contract, what do I get? Covenant, what can I give? Contract, I'll meet you halfway. Covenant, I'll give you 100%. Contract, selfishly, I have to. Covenant, I want to. So you can kind of see the difference there. A covenant marriage is what God intended for us, that selfless relationship. And God intended it to be a lifelong relationship, exemplified by unconditional love, exemplified by reconciliation, sexual fidelity, and growth. It's an eternal commitment with our spouses and with God that has a foundation on God's love. That's what a covenant marriage is. Now, part of my, my, my wedding ceremony, I have a picture of me and Karina from 11 years ago. I look much better then than I do now, but um, 11 years ago, one of the things that I loved about our wedding ceremony, we did the whole unity candle thing, but then after the unity candle, we put it in the, in the ceremony, we purposely put this in there, that we would have some time in the, in the music that was playing, that we'd, we came back to our spots and we held hands like this, and we closed our eyes, and we wanted to pray, right? We wanted a moment of just silent prayer, and while I don't think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I didn't use the word covenant at that point in time, I did pray, and, and I remember asking God to to. Get, to be involved in our marriage, right? To be part of our marriage that we could rely on him. When I let Karina down, when she let me down, he could fill in those gaps. I remember distinctly like praying those things without really understanding or knowing what I was doing. I was praying for a covenant marriage. That's what that was all about. And 11 years later, well, I'm definitely not an expert on marriage. Some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. First service, Bob Nick, we give an Amen. 
<laughs> just, like you've, been, you've been married longer than I've been alive, so some of you are probably more experts on, on this topic than I am, but I can tell you that a covenant relationship is definitely God's design for marriage. And that all sounds great, right? And as long as everything's perfect, we're all in on, on that covenant marriage. But the question we're going to ask today, what happens when this isn't what we're experiencing in our marriage? What happens when there's conflict in the covenant? What do we do? Because we all know if you've been married any length of time, it doesn't take long in any marriage for things to get pretty real when conflict shows up. So we have a video this morning. To, if you want to watch with me, we're going to see what happens when marriage uh, is intersects with conflict and marriage isn't so awesome. What are you doing? Drying my hands. Those are the decorative towels. You can't use them. Why? Because they're decorative. Then why are they out? Because they're decorative. That's literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. That is disgusting. Can you please go do it in the bathroom? Why? I don't want to miss the dessert round. No, you do this all the time, and I'm constantly finding people. I don't know where that went. How wonderful life is. Now you're in my world, my no, world. No, it's it my is, world. No, it is the world. Close all the way. Close all the way. Close all the way. Isn't that nice? Don't give him that. His stomach can't handle it. He'll get sick. Oh, he's a cat. He's mine. Told you. Shut up. Did you take a lactate? No. I'll be fine. Told ya. Shut up. You know where I saw this earlier? The bathtub. Oh yeah, I needed to scrub it. Yeah, but I just found it in the sink. I needed to do dishes after. What? It touched soap. If it touched soap, that means it's clean. You can't just make up your own rules to suit you as we play the game. Well, stop taking the fun out of it then. I'm not taking the fun out of it. What takes the fun out of it is when you cheat. What's <gasps> it? You left the toilet seat up. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Just put it down. Don't pull my underwear. Stop pulling my underwear. Ah! Girl, wet, get off. My favorite part of that video is if it touches soap, it's clean. <laughs> uh, I think my son ascribes to that. But all right, so I know that none of you have fights like that, right? None of you have those ridiculous conversations and, and conflicts in your marriage. But the truth is, and, and what I want to glean from that, is that conflict is inevitable, right? And the reason is you didn't marry a carbon copy of yourself. You married someone with a different personality than you. You married someone who comes from a different family that has different struggles than you. Pastor Rick Warren says that marriage doesn't solve your problems. Marriage does not create your problems. Marriage reveals problems, right? And that is so true. And once those problems are revealed, that's when we see where conflict is inevitable. But there is this kind of thought out there that conflict is always bad. It's not. Conflict is normal, and in a lot of cases, it can be helpful and progress our, our relationships, right? Chances are that if there isn't conflict in your marriage, there might be something wrong there, right? Your, your marriage probably isn't normal. You know, when I went, when I went through, Kree and I went through marriage counseling, they asked us a question, like, do you guys fight? Do you have arguments? And we're like, well, yeah, of course. And he said, well, good, because if you didn't, I was going to send you home to pick a fight. 
because there is value in conflict, right? Some of you must be thinking if, if, if having conflict is healthy, I must have the healthiest marriage on the face of the earth because we have conflict all the time. But it's true. For us to grow closer in intimacy and love, there are going to be times when our views, our choices, our behaviors clash with that of our spouses. And research has shown that there are four topics that 70% of our conflict in marriage revolve around, four of them. They are in-laws, 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 and in-laws. I'm joking. I love my in-laws. But it is one of them. The in-laws is, is the first one, then money, sex, and children. Now, I think that they actually missed a topic, and that topic is loading and unloading the dishwasher, right? That's how it is in my house. There's a, there's a silent battle between Karina and I, and both of us, it's, it's, it's based around the fact that both of us hate doing the dishes, <laughs> right? We hate it, and mainly the, 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 the biggest rub is loading and unloading the dishwasher. But both of us know and we accept this about ourselves. We accept that we both feel the same way about this particular chore. And so what will happen is the dishes pile up, right? They start in the sink, then they spew out onto the counter, and then they're burying my children. And Derek and Tyler are screaming for help. But, and it's funny because neither of us get up, outwardly upset about this because we know this about each other. We just hope and pray that the other person takes care of it at some point is what happens. Um, but inevitably... One of three things happens, right? One of us is going to bite the bullet and do the dishes. Usually it's the person that didn't do it the last time. Secondly, you know, somebody will make plans to have company. I swear, Karina invites people over just so she can ask me to do the, do the dishes. It happens. And then thirdly, uh, we might get to a place where we just, we've run out of clean dishes, so something has to give. That's, that's where we land. But we've never really, the point is we've never really found a great resolution to this battle but we have found a way to turn it into kind of a loving quirk that both of us are able to navigate through in our marriage. And that's okay, right? It's okay to not resolve conflict. There isn't going to be a resolution to all of our conflicts. In most cases, it's, it isn't about one of you being right or wrong. It's more a difference of opinion, right? There isn't a right or wrong answer sometimes in our conflict. It's a difference of opinion. And how do I know that? It's because Karina and I tend to have that mentality sometimes. For example, a perfect example, it wasn't until we got married that Karina was able to show me that for my entire life, I had been folding t-shirts wrong. I never knew she enlightened me to that fact, but I was able, I've been able to enlighten her to the fact that the New York Yankees are, in fact, a vital part of everyone's existence. She didn't know that before I came into the picture, but so what's the point, right? If there is no resolution, if it's all just a difference of opinion, why even have the conversation? Why not just avoid conflict? And to answer that, I think that we have to drill down to the root of where conflict actually comes from, right? The tendency is to believe that once we get married, everything's going to be great. It's going to be like this fairy tale, and everything, all of our problems are going to be solved. We're not going to have any conflict. And if I, if I like, think back on my marriage and think back like, to the moments when I watched Karina walk down the aisle, right, I, I just remember two things. Like, I was like, man, she is gorgeous, right, that moment. And then the moment of, like, thank God, how lucky I am that you, God put this woman in my life to be mine. Like, how lucky am I? I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about conflict. I wasn't thinking about the arguments that we might have. I wasn't thinking about the fights that we might have, would have. But on that day, on that day, in spite of everything that was going on that was so beautiful about that day, we did. We each brought something to the altar, right? We brought something to the altar, and, and that thing is the reason that conflict is inevitable. And that thing is expectation, right? We have, we brought expectations to the altar 
about what the relationship is going to look like, about how the, person, the, how the other person is going to react and how they're going to treat us, how we want to, them to respond to us. Each and every one of us did this on our wedding day. We had these expectations going into it. And they're intensified in a marriage because we enter into this commitment, into this covenant before God, before our family, before our friends. We stand there and we say, till death do us part. And as we progress through marriage, those expectations begin to fall into one of two categories, either met or unmet expectations. Now, Karina and I were fortunate enough that we met, when we were, we met at about the time that most people start thinking about these expectations. Right? I, was, I was 15, Karina was 14. So we kind of walked through that conversation together of like, what do I want my spouse to look like? What do I want my life to look like? And we had those conversations leading into our marriage. But the point is that regardless of when you have them, those conversations have to be had. You have to walk through that stuff together. Think of it as like each person bringing a box to the altar and setting it on the altar on their wedding day. The idea in having that conversation is that both of those boxes go into a bigger one so that you have a foundation when conflict shows up, you have a, a baseline to go back to to say, this is the expectation that you didn't meet. So, and, and this, this kind of this talk of, of setting expectations, it equates to more than just marriage. You know, when I, when I have somebody new come onto my team at work, I always have the conversation, like, this is my expectations for you. What are your expectations for me? And it gets me to think, like, if that's something that I do, it's important enough for me to do at work, why would I not bring that exercise into my marriage and have that conversation with Karina? So where does conflict come from? Our undiscussed and unmet expectations. And when you find yourself arguing about some minuscule thing, like the toothpaste, like, did I squeeze it from the right spot or something like that, or some of the things that came up on that video, you're not really arguing about that one thing. It's just become a figurehead for an unmet expectation that was never discussed. And while there is something to be said for choosing our battles, these unmet expectations are the reason that we shouldn't avoid conflict. Avoiding these unmet expectations that cause conflicts brings resentment. Because even if you can outwardly avoid it, like you don't necessarily talk about it, there's an inward part that doesn't get avoided. You can't avoid it. And the result is that resentment, that hurt, that pain that it that, it, that, it, that happens. So the goal today is not that we figure out how to solve our conflicts. That's not possible and, and not necessarily is basically what we're saying today. It's not necessary for an awesome marriage. The goal this morning is to help us navigate through conflict together. And, that, and what we need to do uh, is then summed up in, in one word. What we need to do to have that awesome marriage is summed up in one word, and that is aware. To handle conflict in the covenant, there are three areas of awareness that we have to focus on. And the first one is that we need to be self-aware. We need to be self-aware. Here's what I mean. All right, we've already talked about expectation, um, but what else are you bringing into your marriage that your spouse may or may not know about, right? Are you aware of your own brokenness? Are you aware of your own heartache, your disappointment? What is your story? What are your past experiences that you're bringing into your relationship? So much of what we bring into a marriage is driven by our past experiences, the things that we saw modeled for us growing up, how our family of origin handled conflict and what those experiences did for us, what, what our experiences were in those moments of conflict, because whether we like it or not, these things have impact on how we interact and how we work with our spouses. If we don't talk these things out, there's going to be issues. It's going to happen. We even bring wounds from our past relationships, right? 
past relationships, into our marriage. And if we're not self-aware, we project some of that hurt onto our spouse and expect them to fix it. It's not fair, but it's what we do. We're projecting that and expecting them to fix it, and they have no ability to be able to do that. Dan Allender, he's, a, he's an author and psychologist. He tells us something that can be so helpful to remember. When I, when I read this, I just kind of had like a mind-blown moment, right? He says, in every conflict, no matter how obviously wrong my spouse is, everybody laughs at that. Why? <laughs> in every conflict, no matter, how many, no matter how obviously wrong my spouse is, I bear the log and my spouse has the speck. So what does that mean? He's referring to Jesus' statement that he made in Matthew 7.3. He says, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? What, he's, what Islander is saying is that for us to handle conflict well in our marriage, we have to be willing to take on that log, right, and accept that we're bringing stuff into the marriage. That's our log that we have to say, yes, this is ours, and own that. You know, I'm bringing my anger, my pain, my broken desires, all that stuff in my past, all my past experiences. That's all coming with me. That doesn't suddenly get dropped the minute I get married. I'm bringing that, and I own that as my log. We have to be self-aware, and that means I need to realize that I have an issue in this kind of, in this relationship, right? Whether it's my heart or making my spouse pay for my broken heart, we have to know that that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The real answer is to let our self-awareness drive us to the one who actually can do something about our brokenness, Jesus. This is another place where accepting God's invitation into a covenant marriage with him and our spouses is so important because he is the one person that can feel that, fill that void. He's the one person that can heal that brokenness from our past. And when your marriage operates from a Christ-centered relationship, you work to help each other be self-aware. Not in like a negative way, not in a mean way, not in a way like I'm going to hold this against you in a future argument, not in that kind of way, but in a loving way that says, you know what, I hear you, and we're going to get through this. And you involved Christ in that conversation. It's a way that says, I love you. And our self-awareness has to be God-driven. And I've found that once I've leaned on God and leaned on Karina to see what these things are and had those conversations about, this is all the stuff I'm bringing. This is all the stuff I'm bringing. Help me with that. When I have those conversations, I'm more free to love Karina more deeply. Right? I begin to ask God, what can I do to love her better? How can my love for her reflect the way that you sacrificially love me each and every day? What does that look like? When I get to that place with the understanding the conflict isn't going to go away, we're able to walk through those things in love rather than anger and disappointment. That is what a self-aware covenant marriage looks like. Walking through those things together, having those conversations, involving Jesus, and saying we're going to get through this. Now, I believe that God recognizes that there are people who, have, who haven't come to this realization. There are people out there that aren't self-aware. I'm not self-aware in certain areas. I have blind spots. But the writer of Psalms reminds us that God is the one who can heal broken hearts. Right? If we're bringing broken heartedness into our marriage, God can heal that. Psalm 147, 23. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Now, I want to take a minute just... I want to recognize that there are people who are not self-aware and bring some unhealthy and even dangerous things into a marriage. 
right? Things that have no place in God's plan for a healthy and loving relationship and in no way model the covenant marriage that God intended for us. I recognize that as I'm speaking to this group of people that there are those of you who have been or even right now are in an abusive relationship. This is something very different from anything that I've been talking about or will talk about this morning. And if that is you, I would encourage you, please, please, please reach out for help. Right? Get that professional help. Today's message is not intended to answer the question of how do you deal with an abuser. That's not what this is. Abusers are bringing dangerous things into a relationship. And while I 100% believe that God can change and, and, and heal broken hearts, there has to be a willing participant in the process. So please, if you're here this morning and can hear my voice and you're in an abusive relationship, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, whatever it is, please, Seek out professional help. We want to be here for you, and we can point you towards the right resources. We'd love to pray for you. But the healing described in 147, Psalm 147, it, it can't happen until the abuse stops. It just can't. So when it comes to things that we're bringing into our marriage, we're not talking about abusive behaviors. That's not what this message is. But what we are talking about is hurt and, and brokenness and heartache the things that cause us to bring unfair expectations and put them on our spouses. We have to rely God, on God to help us be self-aware about these things and then work with God and our spouse to resolve those things. The closer we draw to God and allow him to do this work in us, the more it's going to change the way that we navigate conflict in our marriage. So we have to be self-aware. That's our first point. And the next level of awareness in having an awesome marriage and, and handling conflict in the covenant is to be relationally aware, relationally aware. So we know that conflict is a result of unmet expectations and the things we bring into our marriage. So now since we understand that it's going to happen, we can't avoid it, let's talk about how we approach conflict, right? When nobody goes into a conflict and, and the, the, to start to, to approach it and says, man, how can I just, how can I make this worse, Right, but it, a lot of times that's what happens. We approach conflict and it causes a fight and we just get to a place that we don't want to be in. But often, we, we, you know, we just approach it in a bad way. Dr. John Gottman, he's one of the leading experts on marriage and what makes relationships work and he has this thing called soft versus hard um, starts, startups, right? And I, we're going to give you an example of each. We'll start with the harsh startups. They often begin with statements like, you always or you never or my personal favor, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, I mean, you know, some people have experienced that before, but um, how does, question to the room, how does that make you feel when you hear things like that? Starts with a D and ends with offensive. <laughs> it's <laughs> defensive. Yeah, it makes us feel defensive when we hear those things, right? And this is me 100%. I've told Karina before, like, when you come at me that way, I'm going to get defensive. It's just how I'm wired, how it's going to happen. The problem is, is, I don't know if I've done a good enough job of really communicating, like, what is the best way for you to approach me in a conflict? So that's on me. But here it is. This is the approach that we've all been waiting for, this soft startup. And th these conversations start kind of like this. This is how I feel about this situation. This is what I need in this situation. So if we go back to my dishes example with the unloading and loading of the dishwasher, you know, I can just think, what would happen, not that Karina would ever do this, if I'm sitting in the kitchen, and she comes at me and says, Sean, you never do the dishes, right? Not only am I going to get defensive, 
But now in my brain, every time I have done the dishes has been devalued. And Karina's going to get a bad attitude from me. And not only that, but I'm going to give her a big, long list of reasons that I'm not going to do the dishes right now. That's just what's going to happen with a hard startup. But lucky for me, Karina doesn't really approach things that way. She actually has a great soft startup for things like this. It goes, I could really use your help with the dishes. So now she's gone from a place of attack, right, and gone into a place of, like, making me a part of the solution to the conflict. And all of a sudden, I am her dishpan-handed knight in shining armor. Like, that's how that, that kind of interaction goes. And when I say be relationally aware, a big part of that is being aware of how you approach uh, a conflict and how, it, uh, how that changes your relationship and how that affects your relationship. And the Bible backs this soft approach stuff up, right? Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. So true. And there's another part of being relationally aware. To do this, we have to remember to focus on the good in our spouses. Focus on the good in our spouses. And I'll be the first one to tell you, sometimes I am hard to love. Karina's not here, but she'd agree with me. <laughs> sometimes I am hard to love, but we have to focus on the good in our spouses and express gratitude to them. It's so important. There's a study done by Harvard University and found that gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater levels of happiness. If you don't believe Harvard University for, for whatever reason, I'd encourage you, conduct your own study. Start intentionally doing this. Start uh, saying thank you to your spouse. And, and my bet is that if you intentionally express gratitude, you will begin to feel more positive about each other. You will begin to be more comfortable navigating conflict. Again, this isn't something, this gratitude thing is not something that's going to eliminate conflict. Nothing can do that. But if you consistently express gratitude, you will navigate it much better. And this was, again, this is something that is, again, backed up by Scripture. Philippians 4.8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. My guess is you can go through that list and find at least one thing, right, that can describe your spouse, at least one thing. So here's the challenge when it comes to gratitude. Spend time each and every day telling your husband, telling your wife how you appreciate them, why you appreciate them. Maybe it's something they did. Maybe it's just the way they are acting. And I understand life gets hard, things need to get done, chores have to get done, kids have to get taken care of. And in the midst of all that busyness, it's hard to lose sight of, man, I didn't tell Karina that I loved her today. I didn't thank her for doing that today. Karina's in, in, on her way, Karina and Derek were in Florida this past week. So it's just been me and Tyler at the house, which has been a little crazy, I'm not going to lie. But in this past week, I've really come to appreciate all the things that Karina does to kind of make our family and our home life work. My, my, my advice to you is don't, don't wait till your, your, your spouse goes to a different state for a week to realize those things. Start now and start uh, showing them that gratitude and be relationally aware. Our final point is finally, if we, if we hope to have an awesome marriage and navigate conflict in the confident, we have to be spiritually aware. We have to be spiritually aware. Jesus said the thief's purpose is to stake and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying love. That's John 10.10, satisfying life. So being spiritually aware means knowing that when it comes to an awesome marriage, 
we need to understand that we have an enemy that is out to steal from us, is out to destroy us, out to kill us and, and end our relationships. Satan doesn't want our marriages to succeed. He doesn't want that. And if they do, if they do succeed, he loses, right? Marriage is a God-ordained union, which mirrors Jesus' relationship with his bride, his church. And if that succeeds, uh, God succeeds, and that drives Satan nuts. So make no mistake about it, we have an enemy in this. But what we ha tend to have a tendency to do is when we're involved in conflict, when stakes are at the highest and tempers flare, we begin to, to view our spouse as the enemy, right? Our trajectory gets off and we stop viewing it as a partnership with our spouse to stand for God against Satan and we start directing our anger and our, our conflict towards our spouse. Now, Karina and I are two two of probably the most stubborn people that you'll meet when it comes to getting our own away. And it's probably because, you know, we both think that we're always right. You know, we, we have that about ourselves. But what I've come to realize is that this is, this is the trigger, the prideful trigger that, God, that Satan uses in our marriage to kind of try to get at us. And what, I've, what we've both come to understand is that, the, that we have to have an element of humility in order to navigate that conflict in a way that God wants us to. Right, that some of the best marriage advice that I've ever been given is that there's times when we just have to kind of walk away from the argument. Right? We have to walk away, give each other some space. Early in my marriage, I would, I would want to fix conflicts and think, fix things so badly that we would just have these arguments where I'm trying to get Karina to see my point of view. Obviously, it didn't happen. And it wasn't until I got that advice, like, you just need to step away, give her some space, take some space for yourself where you can stop seeing each other as the enemy and ask God, like, how can we lovingly work through this in a way that I'm not viewing her as the enemy? And what I began to be surprised with, and not that I should have been, is that inevitably God would show me the piece of the conflict that I had to own, right? What was the log from our earlier passage? What was the log that, that I was bringing into this that I had to own? And inevitably, when I go back to her after giving her some space, the first thing that I would end up doing and still do is, I'm sorry for this, right? I'm sorry for my part in what made this get to this place. So ultimately, we need to be able to work with God to refocus and tackle the issue, tackle the conflict together rather than arguing with each other. And this is how God works in our marriage to help us stand against Satan's attacks because he is attacking marriage. He's attacking marriage, and, and if we can stand with God and stand with our spouse it's going to be a stand against Satan. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Ephesians. In verse 6 to 12, he says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Some pretty, it's a pretty formidable enemy that we have. I, Karina and I used to be involved in a, a parachurch organization that did, like, drop dramas and passion plays and things like that. And I did, I would do devotionals for the cast. And we did the passion play. The first conversation that I would always have with them is, what you're about to do is ticking Satan off, right? We're putting Jesus on display for everyone to see. He doesn't want that. Satan doesn't want that. So we have to be prepared for that. And the way that we do that in marriage is taking a stand with our spouse, viewing them as our ally with God. The challenge as it relates to being spiritually aware is to allow God to unite us with our spouses in conflict. Unite us. Don't view them as the enemy. 
And I got to thinking, like, what if we did this? What if we intentionally allowed God to work in this way and we committed to the union that God placed us in, the covenant marriage that he placed us in? What if we made sure that our children saw and knew that we loved each other and we loved God? What if we showed the outside world how attractive a marriage can be when two people are fully committed to Jesus and each other? What if we committed to honoring each other and God as we navigate conflict in a way that allows our marriage to be a testimony to Jesus' work in our lives and his relationship with us? We have to commit to that covenant marriage. And if we did all that, I believe that we would see a lot less marriages end in divorce, and we'd see a lessening on the attacks that are happening against marriage from the outside world because people would see how attractive a covenant marriage can be. So Daybreak, if we're going to win this battle, right, and we're going to be all in on covenant marriage, we can never lose sight of Jesus' influence on our marriages. Jesus died for a relationship with us. When we got married, we committed to each other and to allowing Jesus to work in and through us, not just as individuals, but as a couple, united and unified under the love of Christ. The key to an awesome covenant marriage is Jesus. He sacrificed everything to make it possible. And Karina and I will be the first ones to tell you our marriage is not perfect, right? We have ups, we have downs, we fight. But one thing is is consistent, and that is that we never doubt that Christ is in our marriage because we know that the reason we work is because Jesus is at work in us. And one of the reasons that marriage is so important to God is that it is a reflection of of the relationship that Jesus wants with his bride, you and me, the church. Covenant marriage is under attack, and the world tells us when conflict arises, it's okay to cut bait. It's okay to get out of it. When your spouse isn't living up to what your expectation is, there's somebody else out there that can fill that void that they're leaving. It's a lie. I'm here to tell you that the only person that can fill that void when your spouse inevitably falls short because they will. We're flawed, fallible individuals. The only person that can fill that void is Jesus. And he loves and pursues us like nobody else ever will. So I challenge you this morning. If you're married, start this stuff now. You know, start being self-aware. Start being relational aware. Start being uh, spiritually aware. And involve Jesus and involve your spouse in those conversations. Don't let a day go by where you don't attempt to pursue your spouse the way that Jesus pursues us. It's hard. Things get in the way. It's something that I fail at. But if we can figure this out, and that doesn't mean be perfect at it, but if we can, be, if we can figure this out and allow God to make it a priority in, a lot, in your life, God will make your, your marriage awesome. So what I wanted to do right now is if you're married, uh, whether your spouse is here or you're like me, she's in Florida, <laughs> If you want to stand to your feet, I just want to, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to pray for you. So if you could stand to your feet, all, all my married couples, I just want to take an opportunity to pray for you. But I want to start by saying thank you. You know, thank you for being that example of a, of a Christ-centered couple. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us another half, Lord. <laughs> really another third because you're involved also. Thank you for wanting our marriages to be centered on you. 
Thank you for infusing your love into our marriages, God. Help us to be that reflection of what you want in a relationship with us, Lord. There's tough times, God. We have conflict. We have fights, Lord. We have disagreements. There's times when we let our spouse down. And I'm thankful that when Karina and I run into those things, that you are there, Lord, to, to heal where there needs to be healing and to walk us through things that need to be walked through, God. I'm thankful that your love is always present in my marriage. And that's my prayer for everyone here, Lord, that's standing, God, that we would we would be able to rely on you, Lord. We would have the confidence in you and your love that you're going to be present in our marriages and you're going to see us through things when the rough times come, that you're there it, working in us and through us, God, not as individuals, but as a couple. Do amazing things, God. We pray that you would do amazing things in our marriages. Help us to be more self-aware. Help us to be more relationally aware. Help us to be more spiritually aware, God. And be a united front with you. I'm thankful for my spouse, God. I'm thankful for you. And I pray that we would all know the amazing things that you can do when we rely on you stand on the love that you show us, and we use that to, to show our spouses love, God. So, Lord, don't let us step away today without taking something. Prompt us even right now in this moment, what is the thing that we can rely on you more for? What can we lean into your grace on, Lord? How can we be better for our spouses? We stand and we commit to your covenant marriage. In Jesus' name.